thank you everybody for, for joining us and being with us today. Uh, I'm Alex and this is uh, our very first episode of the BCHA podcast um, following our initial launch that we had a couple of weeks ago. And today I'm joined by Harry, Kirsty, Mike. And so today we're going to talk a bit about um, hidden homelessness. And so we're really excited about uh, having the conversation today. And we're particularly excited to be joined by Harry and Kirsty, um, who will be kind of leading our conversation really from their perspective of a lived experience of a lived experience of homelessness. So, but for those people who may not be entirely familiar with um, what uh, hidden homelessness is, I just wanted to give a bit of a, a bit of an overview, really. Um, so, this is some information that we we took from Crisis um, talking about homelessness. So. Between the 1st of April and the 30th of June last year, 63,750 households were uh, owed a homelessness duty, and that um, had decreased from 11% the year before. So that figure shows quite notable changes in terms of the cause, causes of homelessness, and the number of people living in the rented private sector who are at risk of homelessness um, due to a Section 21 notice being served to evict them also decreased um, by about 69% from the same point. So Although that sounds quite good, and we saw less people approaching for support from risk of homelessness, um, there is there is still an issue. Clearly, some of that in, those improvements were seen by the schemes like um, Everybody In, which looked at getting people inside uh, as a response to the COVID nineteen uh, epidemic uh, pandemic. And you know, some some so some of these figures show that that that, that those emergency measures measures were really helping. Um, and so by the end of September last year, 30,000 people in England had been moved from the streets or out of unsafe accommodation. So what isn't really clear is how many people have been moved in somewhere secure and permanent uh, or a place that they can call their home long term. So prior to the pandemic, um, the big issue uh, worked out there's something like four and a half thousand people sleeping rough on the streets each year. But actually, rough sleeping on the streets is just the very tip of the iceberg. There are in fact more than 300,000 people in hostels, temporary shelters, or unsuitable and sometimes overcrowded accommodation. There's about 236,000 uh, people in the core homelessness population, according to Crisis. And that includes people rough sleeping, sofa surfing, squatting, living in hostels and un unsuitable forms of temporary accommodation, people forced to sleep in cars, tents, night shelters, that gives us a bit of a picture of the kind of wider um, figures on, on, on homelessness and, and hidden homelessness. But what it really doesn't say is to give us really an experience of, of what that might be like to actually go through that as an experience. Uh, I wondered if, you know, Harry or, or Kirsty, if either of you wanted to maybe come in and just tell us a little bit about what, what your experience was. Hello. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I, I can tell you my journey through homelessness has kind of been officially classified homeless and um, periods of um, hidden homelessness. Um, it started off with a stint around my uncle's house after being kicked out by my family. Um, and that brought up boundary issues and issues to do with um, whether or not I was actually welcome. And I, I ended up on the streets. Following that, I spent a period of time living out of a car um, and following living in a car for a period of time, um, I moved into insecure accommodation that uh, affected my ability to, to work. Um, and following that, I spent a period of time in squats and um, sofa surfing with friends, 
um, living in tents um, and um, moving in with uh, partners who who um, tried to sort of support me back into um, normality. What kind of um, period of time did that occur over? So how long would you say you were, were homeless in, the, in those kind of circumstances for? On and off, probably for about 20 years. Uh, so um, I had periods of uh, being housed and um, being in rented accommodation. And then I had um, sort of three or four periods where I was basically in, te in temporary accommodation or um, hidden homeless. Um, yes, with me, um, I was in private accommodation with um, a partner, um, a relationship breakdown. Um, I had, my son was 14 at the time um, and I, um, I couldn't afford to pay the rent because she put the, the rent up, uh, the landlady. So I said to her, like, wait, you're going to have to take, it's going to end up in court because I keep owing her money. And then I lost my job because I had an accident. Um, so I couldn't afford to, to rent the house anymore. I didn't have any savings. Um, and then so I had to put all my stuff uh, scattered around in different people's houses, um, moved in with my mum. But my mum suffers with bipolar tendencies and um, she couldn't quite handle me, my son and two dogs living with her quite a lot. So then um, the council put me in um, emergency accommodation, which they called a B&B. Um, it was... Uh, it wasn't very, it wasn't stable there. And I was working, um, then had to leave my son alone because no one could check on him. I wasn't allowed family, wasn't allowed friends, wasn't allowed my pet. I had to rehome them for a few months because I didn't, they told me I'd never get anywhere. Never, ever. The council said, you're not going to get anywhere. They said, you're in, um, you're adequately housed now when you're in B&B. &B. And I, I argued the, the point of how am I adequately housed when I can't have family, friends, pets, it, it, it doesn't seem right to me. Um, and I saw an aggressive arrest and people knocking on the door, my son answered and they were on drugs and it was, it was quite difficult. So I um, put a shout out on Facebook and luckily um, a friend that I just made um, had some free space and uh, my son and I moved in there, but I was on a, a camp bed in the living room with all these people walking in and out that I didn't know. So I had no personal space as a female. Um, uh, that was quite difficult. And then um, my son had a room of his own, but also like we lived at the opposite side of, of, the, of Exeter then. So therefore he had to get two buses to school. He was late all the time, but it was just, it was a nightmare. And, and, and amongst that, I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Um, so I, I stopped work, I couldn't work anymore. Um, so, you know, uh, I then spoke to St. Petrox in Exeter, which the council advised me to do. Um, and a lady there helped me, um, which got my banding into a B from a C. So it went to a D when I was in emergency accommodation. It went to a C again when I got out of there. Um, and then it went to a B because of my, my health conditions. Um, and then within three weeks, I got a house. Um, which was amazing, um, absolutely, but uh, also overwhelming because they rip out all the carpets and they don't tell you that. So, you know, I had to build the whole house up from scratch, which I have done. Um, and now, you know, I've, I've had somewhere to live for two and a half, over two and a half years, which um, took me nine months of being homeless with a son. And it was 
the most difficult thing I think I've ever faced in my life. And um, being a mother, a single mother as well, um, I think it just, and losing my job, getting diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and then I got diagnosed with complex PTSD. So um, it was all, it was all quite a lot. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I got there in the end, but it took me nine months, just over nine months. I want to help other people, you know, that are in the same similar situation to what I was, um, because you face so many, so many obstacles. Um, and, you know, having a child alone, homeless, I, I think that's just, it's, it's very scary. And um, there needs to be more out there for people because I didn't have anybody to help me. I did it all on my own uh, with the help of some pet drops. So yes, um, it was a scary time. Yeah, great. I mean, you both covered so much ground there. I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what what do you think, uh, you know, you, you both talked about, um, it, you know, one thing sounds like, you know, one thing kind of led to the other and, and you know, one kind of set, set of circumstances around accommodation kind of impacted on the next. And each of you mentioned, you know, it impacting on work and then also impacting to an extent on, you know, your mental well-being, physical well-being, how, how you felt about yourselves. I just wondered if maybe, um, maybe Harry, if you could come and talk to us about what, what do you think are maybe some of the kind of assumptions that, that people make, but, but maybe, you know, what, what, what is, I suppose what the difference is between maybe some of the assumptions people make about being homeless is towards the reality that you experience. Being hidden homeless is, is it's a bit of a paradox, really, because I, I didn't actually understand what homelessness was because it was all happening to me. I never really sort of thought, oh, I'm this, I'm, I'm homeless. Um, I was just battling to get by, battling to get myself on my feet, battling to get st stability. And I think one of the things that people don't realise is that it can happen to anyone. Um, there's, there's uh, due to various factors, people have their own ideas about what they think homelessness is. Um, and some people think that um, people are in that position because they choose to be. Um, I, I, I don't believe that's true. Uh, I believe that um, it could happen to anybody and it's, uh, um, we're, we're all human at the end of the day and um, it's, it's difficult for people to understand what it's like unless they've been in, the, in those shoes and one thing that I've, I've always um, thought would be a useful exercise for us as a society would be to do a period of time homeless and, and um, just, just to get a feeling for what it's like not to have the stability and support around you just to sort of be able to get some empathy uh, for those that are going through this these kinds of um, situations I feel that people like Harry and I um, I think we can be the voice and there's many others uh, obviously like that have been in the same situation and I think that this is the, this is why that we should do things like this because we can be the voice for those people who are literally like hidden home nobody knew I was homeless I wore makeup, I wore nice clothes, you know, because I was able to buy that at one point. Um, but nobody recognized that I was homeless because you don't tell people that you're homeless. And I think um, people people don't see it, people, people can't see it. Um, and I think that's why this needs to be spoken about because, um, you know, if we're the people that uh, have actually been through it, Harry and I can, and, and, and lots of other people can be the voice like I say and and we can help those. It's just interesting Kirsty because you talked about um, 
you know, you say said about the, the way you dressed and held yourself, you didn't people wouldn't have known that you were homeless. Was that something that you did consciously to to to, to hide that fact about being homeless? Absolutely. Um, I was ashamed of being homeless because um, I, I've always kept myself well and I've always had a job and I've always looked, you know, to be to be hip the disability as well when you're very active um, amongst being homeless and trying to work 12 hour shifts and look after your son. Um, no, I definitely hid it because I didn't want people to know because I was kind of embarrassed because I'm strong and I felt weak at that point because I've been such a strong person. I felt weak that I lost my house because I've always kept it up. So to lose a house with no fault of your own, um, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I, I hid it completely. Um, I wanted to hide it. I didn't want to flash it about. And there was nothing like this for me to listen to or anyone to talk to, like a peer mentor, which, I, you know, I'm going into being. But there was there was nothing, you know, it, I had to hide it. I had no choice. It, it, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Sorry, it was just horrible awful yeah the kind of clear contrast there for me is that harry just said about people some people assume that it's a choice um you know to, to be homeless and as you've just really clearly said it wasn't a choice you found yourself where rent was put up and you found yourself in circumstances outside your control mike i think you were just about to come in there yeah hello harry um hello kirsty yeah i i just wanted to ask um about that extra added dimension about hidden homelessness or, or homelessness as um, Harry from the BAME community and uh, Kirsty as uh, a, a woman, a, a single parent, what additional challenges were there for you? The challenges I faced were um, I had no um, privacy as, as a woman uh, being in a living room on a, on a sofa bed with lots of men there, which, you know, I became really good friends with. So I made friends out of, out of all of that. There was some, something good that came out of something bad, but the challenges were like, you know, they, they didn't tell you they were going to rip all the carpets out and you had to re-carpet that. So you had to save up for that, even though you weren't working. So how do you pay for that? Um, and you don't get any money given to you for it. There's no, there's nothing that I was told that I could get any help to pay for my carpets or to pay for, to get it, you know, painted and, and make it a home for my son and I. I was on a mattress, a uh, very thin mattress uh, on the floor with no carpets, with fibromyalgia, um, couldn't afford the heating because it's electric. And, you know, it was, uh, the challenges were great. They were massive, huge, so many, so many. Okay, just to answer your question, Mike, um, I think he was asking if there was any additional challenges coming from the sort of BAME community. Um, I experienced massive amounts of racism, um, too many to, to, to even write down or recall. Um, it was just an ongoing thing. Um, I feel like I didn't fit the criteria for, for support, um, being a, a, a single, single male. Um, um, I was filled full of fear. I experienced positive discrimination. Um, coming from from the Bain community, I kind of ticked boxes for certain support services that that did reach out to help me, and I, I, I felt guilty about that. Um, and I experienced massive amounts of social exclusion and isolation. 
And so um, both of you have mentioned some of the kind of impacts that it's had on like other factors in your life, um, you know, about ability to work. If you found that that's had um, repercussions into the into the present day, you know, do you find there's still kind of difficulties that that, that poses now, even though you've, you've moved some steps on from a, a period of homelessness? Well, I suppose the other question is, do you feel that you've moved on from a period of homelessness or do you feel like in some way that 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 is still hanging over you? Um. I personally, um, I haven't worked uh, since I um, gave up work because I couldn't do it because of my fibro. I haven't worked for two and a half years and that's the first time in my life. So I'm still um, like, I, apart from doing some volunteering work, which I can't wait to do, I have been um, unable to work because of my fibromyalgia, because of my health, because of my fitness. Um, and I have also not been able to leave the house alone for over a year because of my anxiety. Um, so I've been very isolated and I didn't know, I, I didn't know who to talk to. I'm also um, moving house again because I've had my car in the area that I'm in. My car got vandalised four times and I had to have it scrapped. Um, I got threatened to, my son and I got threatened to kill, to, uh, to be killed. Um, had a break in, um, they called it a baby break in um the police uh, I've had the police involved in my life um so I'm now on the list to bid and move again from the place that I'm in because it's been a really unhappy time and an unhappy place um which is um, a massive shame because I really have done a lot to the house um which I haven't finished I've just carpeted the stairs and I've got things done and now facing moving again is hanging over my head um because you know the area that I'm in although I'm grateful um I now have to move again so yeah it's hanging over my head of feeling not homeless but feeling kind of withdrawn and, and unable to be comfortable in my own home it sounds very much from what you're saying that, that actually there's that sense of still not feeling entirely settled even though you have what some people because I suppose it's almost like there's a difference between a house and a home um maybe that's my words but I don't know it, it sounds like what you're describing is that, that, that actually there's still although you've had a house perhaps it's not quite been a home yet um that's exactly it um I've had so much trouble there and a lot of um police involved more than once um a lot of things bad things have happened um and you know I've faced challenges with my mental health um and you know facing having to move and not having a home it doesn't feel like a home I feel like I'm I've got a fixed abode and that's about it it's an address um which is a shame because I work so hard to get where I am now I'm back in square one but just with a house and needing a new place uh, a new area so I'd just like to add um some of the challenges that I've I've been facing uh, I've, I've been struggling with my mental health too for probably a period of about 11 or 12 years and um, I, I, what I'm finding is I've adjusted, it, I found the adjustment to uh, being in, in um, house, being housed uh, quite difficult because I've, I've had such a transient lifestyle for such a, a period of time. It, it's made it very difficult to um, have hope and belief that I have actually got a home and that it is safe and that it's not going to be taken away from me um, because I'm so used to disappointment um, and that's that kind of has made it difficult to make the adjustment into 
living indoors again. And I think that's a, a challenge that a lot of people face um, is they get housed and they don't have the, the support available to them to make that transition into being in, in, in a home again. Um, be it something as simple as uh, navigating their way around the house, getting support to, to get into a routine um, and um, getting understanding what services are available. We've got so many amazing services available here in Exeter and um, I, due to exclusion and isolation and um, digital exclusion uh, due to, to homelessness, was unaware of, of what support was available to me and how to reach out. Um, and there isn't relevant signposting from uh, services such as Citizens Advice Bureau and places like that uh, to uh, really help signpost us to, to where we can get support. Harry, I was just I was just interested because you said about it being, uh, you know, and I've heard other people talk about this experience, actually, that um, following homelessness is that kind of real difficulty to adjust to the idea that, you know, you're going to stay put and that you're going to have that security. Just wonder what are, what are some of the ways that manifests in your home and in, and, and in your life? Thank you, Alex. Um, some of the ways that it manifests is um, having quite a, a sort of a narrow view of, of what I'm capable of um, and what I, I'm, I'm entitled to, um, not really understanding the, what the full potential of, of having a home supplies you. Um, in terms of, of safety and, and um, financial security, if, if one's able to get back into work, um, and 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 also what what benefits and things are available if, if one isn't able to get into work, so um, just just a complete lack of all of that, and and just not having um, the 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 awareness, um, having been in such a sort of a fight or flight situation for such a long time, um, not being able to. Uh, shake that off um, it, it becomes habitual and um, can can really affect your your day-to-day -day cognitive thinking as, as to what what you can achieve in a day really and um but so both of you've kind of echoed this thing of um of, of safety and i feel like safety is coming out as a, of a strong this is a strong theme really in terms of safety in terms of security but also just yeah in terms of putting down roots and um just one of the things i'm reflecting on is just about you know at heart as humans we're, we're social creatures aren't we who, who like to be connected with a community and with a network and I suppose that if you're on if you're on the move or if you feel like you could be on the move at any point then that sense of being able to to reach out and connect in a community I mean obviously we're all experiencing some difficulty with that at the moment with the with the pandemic but um hopefully for for many people that's that's something that will, will that will be over in a kind of post-pandemic world but I suppose if you're if you're kind of used to the idea that you're going to move on at any point it must be very hard to kind of think about a future connected and rooted in your community around you. Yes I'd agree with you there Alex it makes it very difficult to believe um, that that opportunity is available um, and then to then uh, implement and integrate actions and behaviours into one's life to to support that transition. As we're kind of um, heading a bit more to the, the close of this um, this session, I wondered um, I wanted to ask you both a couple of questions and uh, make take a turn to kind of respond. If you were going to give one piece of advice to somebody who finds themselves in a situation of homelessness, hidden homelessness, what would be what would be the piece of advice that you'd give? If you can journal everything, 
journal your experiences because over time the memories can falter and um, it, sometimes you need access to information about incidents and things that have occurred that you may not feel are relevant. So keeping a diary and keeping a journal of the positive and negative things that happen uh, during the, the process of being homelessness can, can be really good for you, your mental health. And it can also provide you really um, useful information uh, if you're ever to try and work your way out of homelessness. I've got a situation where I'm volunteering at the moment and I've needed to sort of piece together my history of um, where I've been, what I've been doing, how long for, and all these kinds of questions, which in the world of work and volunteering seem like normal questions, but I've been clutching at straws as to getting timeframes together and um, trying to sort of um, provide relevant information to people uh, in order to, to make progress. So I believe that uh, keeping a diary or a journal um, can, can help with self-reflection and allows you to sort of go back and process the experience. Um, I think my advice would be to reach out um, because a lot of people don't. A lot of people try and do everything on their own. And um, I think reaching out um, even to friends, uh, Facebook or anywhere that you can reach out, there are people out there that will help you and that can guide you to the right people, which can help you. Um, and I think have hope, uh, always have hope and faith that you will, you will get somewhere and try and try and be strong about it but always reach out because trying to deal with everything on your own um is the hardest thing to do um which i did and when i reached out that's when i that's when i got the help and that's when i got housed um so yeah reaching out is definitely a massive thing that i would do and i also believe in what harry said is keeping a journal and writing things down um, um because it is a journey it's a long journey and it's um it takes time but you know, don't give up, never give up and just have faith and hope that, that there is there is help out there and just believe. That was really beautiful, Kirsty. Thank you so much. Um, Harry. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of add some further points um, with hidden homelessness, um, living in squats and staying with family members and um, staying uh, in sort of insecure situations can really sort of test boundaries um, and you can find yourself making sacrifices uh, in terms of what you deem to be acceptable normal behavior and accepting things that aren't okay um, and it's really important to um, assert your boundaries and be clear about the things that you need and want in your life and try and not allow the boundaries to get blurred to a point where you're being taken advantage of which can can really happen and and to mirror what Kirsty said to not give up hope and have strength yeah really sage what sage words i think harry really appreciate it um and my final question to you both um a similar question really but um if you had one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who hasn't experienced homelessness or hidden homelessness about how they could understand more what would what would you say to them um ask questions be be honest and um uh, the only way to learn is to share experiences um, and if you haven't got those experiences yourself, then go, go to the people that do. So uh, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I'm involved in volunteering opportunities where there's a lot of co-production involved and uh, that, that kind of mindset of doing with rather than to and, and um, involving the people um, that have those experiences 
um, is, is really important. Um, and, and also to be mindful that um, the, the person um, who, who um, is going through this experience might have underlying traumas and um, might have um, things that they've ex experienced that they've not had time to process. So to, to, to go easy on them. Um, I think I agree with Harry and I think um, anyone that hasn't experienced it um, can always sympathise but not empathise as they, you know, they haven't been through it. Um, and I think um, maybe volunteering with uh, homeless charities and soup kitchens and shelters, um, maybe just reaching out to them and just maybe trying to help them a little bit um, uh, because you can't understand if you haven't been homeless. Um, you can't make somebody understand. So to go and help and reach out to people and maybe do some volunteering and just see how, how that works. And um, there's only the only way you're going to recognise it is if you open your eyes and see it. So, um, you know, there's more to homelessness than just hidden and on the streets. There's a lot more. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing I'm just kind of thinking about, both of you have said about um, asking questions and being aware and kind of reaching out. And I suppose both of your examples you've given is this this idea that actually, um, you know, people around us could be homeless and we don't we don't know it because by the nature of it being hidden, um, you know, both the both the examples that you've given us actually it sounds like both of you made efforts to to hide that fact perhaps from people around you. So I suppose it's it's all relevant for people to be aware that any time if somebody's going through a tricky time or, or talking about going through difficulties that actually homelessness and um, our kind of underlying issues like poverty, um, struggling with money, you know, those things could be underlying some things that go for people's lives. So keeping a kind of wide and broad awareness that, you know, people have uh, different things going on for them and, and homelessness could be, a, could be a part of that. Great. Well, look, um, I've really, really enjoyed and appreciated the conversation today, guys. Um, I don't know if anybody had any last sort of thing that they wanted to say or anything they really wanted to talk to people about before we land this thing. Um, I just wanted to, to say um, that it is really important to think about what you need and want because we, we can enter such a sort of narrow way of looking at things due to sort of fight and fight or flight and, and going through experiences to the point where you're living on a day-to-day -day basis that sometimes we can forget just what we're capable of and it's really important to try and remember that you know anything's possible and um, to have the strength to reach out and try try and uh, better your situation and not to lose hope. Um, I also think that information and knowledge is power to the people that are in our situations. Um, so people like Harry and I to do this podcast to get out there and to let people know that like there is help. And like I said before, it's all about hope and faith and just knowing that like, you know, that you will get there and, you know, we've got there. And do you know what is hard as well when you're homeless and you get a house um, is then you've got to pay all the bills and then you've got to be responsible and then you've got a lot to pay out for. And then you've got to sort of all like that is it's, it's all very hard work, but eventually um, people do get there and, um, you know, it, it, it will, it will get better. It will get better. It does get better. Well, that's yeah, really beautiful. Um, and a lovely place to end, I think. So, um, look, Harry, Kirsty, Mike, uh, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, yeah, hopefully look forward to picking up a conversation again in the future.